1: Healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI.
2: Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow.
0: Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's
3: why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com.
4: We've done your homework. The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadoo smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
3: You deserve a moment to yourself every single day.
0: Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name
1: is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul the P.O. Deccant. But most importantly, you are you and you are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Like parole officer? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we're big fans of acronyms. Just mail us, your, mail us your favorite. Yeah. Mail like, us your favorite Speed peed off. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, it, Right now, uh, usually Paul will have a talkback mic turned on so he can tell us how lame he thinks our jokes are. Well, we
2: took it away because he was hurting our feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: he's throwing us thumbs up and thumbs down. Uh, not a thumb, my friend. Uh, so oh, let, Let's hope we do him proud. <laughs> that was just shade. All right. We have, you know, you can tell we all get along famously, folks, and we have a lot of levity on this show Part of the reason that we're opening with some jokes today is because today we are going to examine something that is incredibly important, not just in the U.S., but in the world overall. And it's also something that isn't fully explored in your typical mainstream news stories. You'll maybe hear – five minutes about something, right, on CNN or on MSNBC or, or Fox News or whatever whatever your news program
0: of choice is. This is a topic today that you probably won't know a lot about unless it's touched your life in some way, uh, mm-hmm. very close, within a few degrees. Absolutely. I mean, and now we are seeing some very alarmist, I, I would say reasonably
2: so, headlines that is pushing some of the stuff to the forefront, which we'll get into as well. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's certainly not something that was across my Day to day thinking.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Friends and neighbors, if you are a resident of the United States, you've probably heard about the burgeoning and long standing problems with this country's justice and incarceration system. And our episode today focuses on another aspect of that system that the authorities, the politicians, and yes, the private prison companies would probably rather you not know much about. That is its effect on children. And as, as you know, if you are a longtime listener, one of Matt, Noll and I's favorite things to do when we are tackling a topic of this magnitude is to find an expert. And luckily, this time we succeeded. We would like to introduce to you Julian Wyatt. Julian, thank you for
5: coming on the show. Thank you for having me.
0: Julian, tell us uh, tell us about the organization you're a part of and what you what you do within that organization.
5: Yeah, so Forever Family is an Atlanta-based uh, nonprofit that was founded in uh, 1987 by uh, Sandra Barnhill. Uh, she's still the current executive director and CEO. Um, the work we do is pretty much aimed at uh, maintaining and preserving the family bond for uh, children or families who are experiencing incarceration. Um, so one of our taglines is surrounding children with the love of family, but that's also like our approach as well. So uh, one of the most popular and longest-running programs is that of the family visitation program, uh, where we once a month gather up all the children involved in the organization, and we provide transportation as well as meals to the children as well as caregivers. And we make about a three-hour drive there and back to three of the four um, women prison women, women prisoners within here in Georgia. So that's Emanuel, Lee Arendelle, as well as Pulaski. Um Other than that, you know, we just want to make sure that, you know, children uh, are still aware that, you know, they're not alone with this experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even those for the parents to, who are incarcerated – uh, we provide different workshops throughout the year um, so they can you know feel confident about their abilities to still be involved in their child's life while they're you know still st- serving their uh, prison sentence and for the caregivers as well, which is also left out of the popular narrative uh, we provide different support and services for them to ease the financial burden uh, as they take care of um you know some of the children involved
1: and for a real quick statistical background here, we know that the U.S. represents about 4.4% of the world's total population but houses around 22% of the world's prisoners and it was shocking Correct. to us. It was shocking to us that children were not included or were missed in the narrative as you say. Uh, we'd like to ask a couple of questions about the kids themselves do they have a, a typical age
5: range or does it go across the spectrum? It usually across the spectrum. So even for our um, organization, we work for from infants all the way up through to the age of 18. Wow. So these are – you said you're primarily uh, servicing women's
0: prisons. Mm-hmm. And it, so these are moms that yeah. you're going to visit. Yes. And you're taking the children to go visit their moms yes. in prison. Correct.
5: Have you have you actually physically gone along with some of these visitations? I have. Uh, what- um, my first uh, prison visitation back in 2014 when I was first interning uh, at Forever Family, um, and it's a, a powerful and moving experience. Um, we get to the organization about five o'clock in the morning. We provide you know meals to the children. Um, you know we try to just make it as upbeat and friendly as possible, though, because I know for some they are excited, and also for some it's a uh, kind of a, a difficult you know difficult situation. Um, uh, but we you know we make sure that they have. You know, food on the bus right there when we get in there. Uh, we have to check in, which is like an hour long process. It's just no joke from background checks we all have to get. Um, once we get there, if you're a child, I think under the age of 13, you're still able to go into the uh, Children's Center. And this is not at all three prisons. I think this is just maybe at Pulowski, one more, not for certain. I have to cross reference that. And if you're over the age of 13 to 18, then you go to the general population. Uh, so I've had the opportunity to go into the Children's Center actually for Mother's Day weekend, which was amazing. Um, so we provided food, the mothers cooked, they had routines. And You just—it's just so much physical connection and love, and since I know that I have direct contact with their children on a regular basis, they ask me questions about you know how's Johnny doing in school. Um, If he's you know messing up here, feel free to give him a talk and pull him to the side. So (laughs) it's just yeah, it's just a great experience. You could tell that it benefits both the the mother who's incarcerated as well as the child. So statistically wise, um, if you maintain this relationship, then uh, those who are in prison are more likely to. be conscious of their behavior while they're while they're serving their time, mm-hmm. and also it decreases the likeliness of recidivism that they'll return and reoffend. And for the child at the same time, um, you know, that still having that connection ensures that they're not missing out on much, and they're, you know, still uh, yeah, surrounded by that love and are able to then succeed and move forward and develop as no- a normal childhood.
1: And let's go back to... Something that you just mentioned that may amaze and surprise uh, a lot of us in the audience here and that is the process that not just the children but you and everyone who attempts a visitation has to undergo in order to actually make it in to visit the people imprisoned. You said it's an hour-long
5: process. It is, and we try to get there um, as early as possible so we get to the front of the line and make sure that the children have as much time as possible to spend uh, with their with their mothers. Uh, but it's—you uh, have to go through the metal detectors, and, mm-hmm. you know, they—it's they, kind of dehumanizing in a sense mm-hmm. um, to the fact that once you get into this institution, then you kind of lose a sense of, you know, yourself and freedom at the same time that you're giving up. So myself as, you know, being a chaperone or a staff member as well as the children as well who— are kind of serving incarcerated but outside of the institution at the same time. So. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, any any kind of bureaucratic system like that, it always feels like you're in some kind of cattle call yeah. or you're stuck in some right. way. It's very uh, claustrophobic, mm-hmm. I think, is a word that I would use to describe mm-hmm. it. I can't imagine for, for a child having yeah. to go through that.
1: And that's a great point about bureaucracies. Uh, Noel, as you just said, these are arduous organizations some would say inherently, and when we are talking about bureaucracies for institutions that are seen as uh, quote-unquote justly punishing someone for taking a a taboo or a legal action, then oftentimes the reforms of those bureaucracies fall to the bottom of the list when it comes to funding, when it comes to uh, positive action of any sort, and one of the questions that was on our mind that we wanted to ask you is whether you... Or your colleagues, or the caregivers, the parents, or even the children have encountered this bureaucracy acting in a, well, I don't want to say
5: an, an antagonistic manner,
1: but maybe an unhelpful
5: manner. Yeah, that's uh, very true. So I think we do criminals, um, they're labeled as master status of always being criminals and need to be punished accordingly. We know, you know, sometimes sentencing is not um, as rational or, you know, is in line in regards to the offense. Uh, But I think diminished expectations by society um, also believes that these kids of the incarcerated uh, will end up with their parents. And so they treat them accordingly, and they don't believe they're going to amount to much and be successful. Um, So it comes down to then the work that we do is... Uh, I guess internalizing in sociology, but like the labeling theory. So, if you call these children, you know, criminals, you say they're going to amount to only to what their parents have done, and so forth. They're going to start to internalize that, um, and then it's just repeats the, recycle, the cycle. Then of them, you know, getting wrapped up in another system, and and you know, some of these times they they will. The likelihood of them going or being incarcerated increases, and so, so and so forth. So, we do our best to try to uh, combat some of that um, as much as possible. The idea of like a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Kind of, exactly. You know.
1: And we'll return to the untold story of incarceration and the children it affects uh, with Julian Wyatt after a brief word from our sponsor. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
0: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the
2: position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker,
0: stylist, bellhop.
1: Two four to talk to an expert.
2: Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
3: Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. And
0: uh, off air, we mm-hmm. were somewhat joking about uh, private prisons, which is some um, real
1: gallows humor. It Matt. is.
0: It really is. But we brought up uh, a company that was formerly, I guess, known as CCA. Um, the something corrections of America, the Corrections Corporation, Corporation
2: of America,
1: yeah. I believe. Yeah. So, Julian, you told us that they recently changed their name.
5: Yes, I was doing some research on them recently, and they rebranded themselves as Core Civic. I'm sure for Core Civic, Core Civic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess it's a little less. Um, harsh it's but the core a, of civic right, right 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 they should have get, taken it all the way and become like the happy fun time company <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeez. Mm-hmm. that's what they are a region for scenes yeah but they rebranded i'm sure for different the reputations and so what they've been getting over the years it's such is. an
2: innocuous non name it's <laughs> like what does that mean sure. what does that tell us anything about what you do
5: uh, <laughs> right
0: private housing Mm-hmm. Right. That's what they call. Sure. Themselves. Yeah. Housing. So,
1: yeah. could you could you tell us and our audience a little bit more about what we mean when we say
5: private prisons? <sighs> Basically, just as as the term kind of explains, there it's um, some of these prisons are run by private organizations, and then they have such a, a big state at you know, maintaining or uh, the status quo of mass incarceration or, you know, the prison industrial complex because it benefits them. Uh, I was looking at some of the CCA information and they actually negotiate their contract so that they are saying that you have to make sure that the incarceration rate or the capacity is at 90 percent. Um, mm-hmm. The number of people in the beds. The number of people, yes. They have a
1: minimum guarantee a minimum for bodies mm-hmm. and bunks. Correct.
5: Correct. Wow. Uh, minimum quotas for sentencing. Then the whole mandatory minimum sentencing comes into play as well. So it gets deep. And they have a pretty large stake percentage percentage of the amount of prisons that they run in the U.S.
2: So it's what some might refer to as the prison industrial complex right. because there's money going into the exactly. system. There are people that have things to gain from mm-hmm. this monetarily. Mm-hmm. I just was going to briefly bring up. I once did a story for public radio about a town uh, where they had lost their entire industry. It was like a in the housing boom. I can't remember the name of the town now, but it was in Georgia, rural part of georgia Mm -hmm. and they had lost their whole manufacturing it was tied to like textiles or something Mm -hmm. and so they wanted this prison they wanted it so bad because it was going to give jobs and i Mm -hmm. went to like a thing an event that the cca people did and it was just like telling them how great it was going to be everyone was going to have jobs and they didn't end up getting it but it was Mm -hmm. like it was was just weird to me that we were like please please give us this prison
1: it's surreal isn't it and this This goes to a systemic issue. You may have seen in the news a number of years ago about certain judges who got caught sentencing kids wildly out of proportion uh, off to juvie, to juvenile detention centers, because they were guaranteed a certain payment per head. Luckily for now in the U.S., that is technically illegal. However, it sounds like what we're exploring when we bring up the prison industrial complex, incarceration in general, is we're bringing up the idea of tying profit to prison in a way that, again, is technically not illegal. I don't want to say it's legal. It's not illegal. It's kind of tricky. It's like don't be evil. That's not the same thing as be good. Mm -hmm. And one thing you said – just now that really stuck with me and i we we should examine this a little further in depth julian you just said that these private entities are influencing mandatory sentencing is that correct
5: yeah, so there's definitely a relationship between um, corporations and, and politicians. Um, this has come up in, in the last, like, decade. There's been, I try to keep, you know, hush-hush, but there's individuals who are lobbying to maintain the status quo with these minimum um, sentences and so forth. Yeah, definitely. Man. I have a question. Um, In Atlanta in
2: particular, we recently had a change in the mandate of police officers to not take people to jail for marijuana, for certain amounts of marijuana. It's not so far as to say marijuana is now legal in Atlanta, but for all intents and purposes, cops aren't supposed to take you to jail if you have a joint or a certain amount of Mm -hmm. weed on you. At their discretion. That's a whole other thing, (laughs) but my my understanding of it was it was an effort to – prevent some of this overcrowding and some of these low-level offenders that end up in the system and get completely screwed over for the rest of their lives. What do you think about that?
5: Yeah, that goes back to, oh, my gosh, the war on drugs. and Crack and all that. Exactly, yeah, from yeah. the 70s and moving forward. Um, but I think they're on both sides of the aisle now. We're seeing a need to – this is a problem. Mass incarceration is a problem. It's costing um, a lot of money in regards to the federal budget and everything else. Uh, but so now I think mandatory prison sentences um, – Need. Let's define the term real quick, just 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 to catch up with the idea of mandatory minimums. So it basically means that no matter what, if you get caught with, say, for drugs, so some majority of individuals who are incarcerated, mm-hmm. um, uh, legislation that's passed and policies say that you have to um, receive a certain amount of um, uh, prison or, or jail time for this offense. Yeah, and it's usually not small, not small, and it's and, actually increased over the decades. Yeah, and it's the minimum, and mm-hmm. it's a, and
1: it's a. Um, there's a meta level to it as well because mandatory sentencing might not just kick in for a possession of uh, X amount of drug Y. It also can kick in if this is your second or third test yes, crime of yes, nature, Yes, three right? strikes.
5: That was a three strikes. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, under Clinton, that was mm, the issue as well. I really appreciate you pointing out that that was –
0: under President Clinton,
1: that
5: was that. that was yeah, <laughs> and that's going to come up a little later.
0: Actually, yes, uh, it
2: just goes to show money isn't partisan. You uh, know, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we we can we demonize certain parties and right. raise up others, but when right. you look at the numbers, there's stuff happening on both sides mm-hmm. that are feeding the beast. Oh, you know? definitely, money votes for
1: itself exactly, and it votes every a, day. Apology, yeah, yeah. Uh, Very true. So what? If it's okay, we'd like to ask you a couple of biographical questions. Sure. What what drew you to this project, this mission, and
5: uh, where would you like to see it go? Great question. Um, so I'm fortunate enough that uh, neither my mother nor father were um, incarcerated uh, through my childhood, but I can't say that that narrative holds true for some of my close relatives as well as my childhood friends that I've grown up with. Um, originally from Los Angeles, California. Um, so you know, and not I, I want to say the Santa Monicas and the Hollywoods, one like Long Beaches and Inglewood and you know Compton. so some of these like urban um areas who are now you're decaying and so forth um it's just it's something that I've been affected by uh, I know there've been at times when I've seen friends get arrested, and it's been as simple as something that hasn't been as traumatic. Other times I've seen doors being kicked down and everything else in between. Um, I, when I was a child, I opened up the door and there goes the FBI saying they're looking for, you know, a wanted criminal. So and as a child, that's somewhat traumatizing, you know what I mean? And even though we're speaking of like the family as a unit, um, there have been times when like my mother has had to, you know, house some of my friends or some of my cousins because my aunts and uncles have been involved in the criminal justice system, are now incarcerated, and to avoid... Them um, getting wrapped into the you know, coming war of the state and getting the foster care and everything else like that. Mm-hmm. My mother, you know, stepped up to the plate and wanted to do her part in ensuring that, you know, um, the children were still comfortable and moving forward. And she felt like that was her role. So, on top of, you know, trying to use all her resources to help my relatives out with court fees and you know trials and so forth attorney fees Um, she's also not having to take care of uh, another body another human and (laughs) children like to eat right (laughs) right. so it's 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 things like that that it just hits home Um, and then moving out here I got involved with the organization when I was an intern in undergrad Um, and just the families and children that I've you know came in contact with it just resonated with me I look at them like my own, my family members at this point. So, and then progressively, I just became more involved in the organization. Um, I'm a member of the Young Professionals Board, and I'll be the president of the Young Professionals Board for the organization in July.
0: Wow, man. Congratulations. Thank you. And honestly, it's a huge just tribute to to the dedication and the love that your family shares to take on those. I mean, in a way, it's a burden. It's also a privilege in Mm -hmm. other ways to take care of a child in that way, but... Um, that, that's huge because yeah. not every family has that kind of bond mm-hmm. and and that determination. And can you just tell us a little bit about what happens to, let's say, a kid whose mom ends up wrapped up in the criminal justice system, goes to prison, and there's nobody else to right. take like care of this kid, mother and father mm-hmm. potentially.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe start with uh, maybe start with
5: the day they
1: learn that they're going. Yeah,
0: like what what happens to this kid?
5: Not enough emphasis goes on taking the child into consideration at all when it comes to the sentencing. Um, but from my experience of what I've seen is luckily um, it's usually a grandparent who takes the responsibility of looking out for the child. So I know the majority of the children who are in program, that's the case, um, which had its own issues to, to a certain level. Um, but, yeah, once you get wrapped up into the system, it someone just get lost and then you don't have a you can't advocate for yourself and you know then you, it's a disconnect between you know the state wanting to keep you away from your child and you not knowing or having legal knowledge to even know what you need to, what steps you need to take to you know ensure your relationship maintains uh, is maintained with that child so it's mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's challenging
1: wow. so is there any state level
5: or federal level substantive assistance in solving this problem Oh, There possibly could be, but one that I'm aware of the top of my head, I couldn't speak on. Mm. Okay, so there's a grandparent. That's obviously a best-case scenario.
2: Mm. But a lot of times there's not. And then you have kids that get in the foster care system, um, for example. And I know that can end up great for children. That can ultimately be a positive situation where they find um, a, their foster parents, ultimately adopt them, et cetera. But that is a, a form of a child being in a system that they have – no control over and that at times they have no ability to escape. So right. can you give us kind of the the less rosy version of that, that scenario? Maybe, I don't know. Just whatever you see on the ground.
5: From what I see on the ground, um, preserving that uh, – that immediate family or that the extended family tends to have better outcomes for both the the child as well as the uh, parent who's incarcerated. Just a level of trust and stability. Um, we're just having to get you know outside you know entities or actors involved in making decisions, and it just gets a little bit more um, complex on top of already having a um, um, uh, a parent incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Well, we I- we definitely hear horror stories.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, about the, you know, situ- situations that can occur within foster care and the foster care system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not all horror stories, no. but that's definitely the ones that rise at the top because yeah. they're newsworthy. If it bleeds, um, it leads. Right? Yeah.
2: Well, um, and, I, and I know that a lot of foster parents do it because it's like a per kid amount of money that you get. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the a negative way you can look at it. But also my, uh, my ex-wife's uh, sister – as foster children for years and ended up adopting, like, five of them, three of which were siblings. Mm-hmm. And wow. and they, they are just have the, the most lovely, loving, um, middle-class, affluent family. Then they take care of those kids like they're their own because yeah. they are. Yeah. So that's sort of, like, the best-case scenario. Right? But mm-hmm. then you have ones where you hear about neglect and mm-hmm. malnourishment. You hear about kids dying in the foster mm-hmm. care system from beatings and uh, abuse. And you don't have to look far to find examples Mm -hmm. of this happening in the news Mm -hmm. to the point where we're almost numb to it in a certain way. Very true.
1: And this brings us to a natural segue, something that many, many of us listening along uh, were already thinking of as soon as we tuned into this episode. It hits upon something that has made the news uh, in a very real and immediate and as we record, an ongoing Way We are going to delve into the story behind the stories you've read about children being separated from their parents at the border of the U.S. After a word from our sponsor. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
0: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the
2: position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop.
1: Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America
2: goes to hire.
3: Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: And we're back from about, what was it, Matt, May 2018?
0: Yeah, May. It was like early May 2018 Mm -hmm. up until June 20th, (laughs) actually, the day we're recording this episode. Mm -hmm. From about that That time span, you probably saw in your media
1: of choice, whether that's a social platform or a mass market news program, you probably saw the reports of numerous children uh, traveling with their family um, or in some cases solo uh, from a foreign country to the U.S. and then not only being detained at the border but being separated from their parents and when we say kids – We're not talking teenagers. We're talking children.
2: And when we say numerous, we're not talking about a handful. We're talking about more than 2,000. Yeah, -hmm.
0: Yeah. 2,343 according to the NPR as of early May.
1: Julian, you've, you've been following this story. Would you say that there is a connection or a confluence between the immigration detainment industry and the prison industry?
5: So, yeah, I think there's definitely um, some parallels between our criminal justice system as well as our uh, detention system. Um, I think we were speaking on still the the mandatory sentencing. that's still the the same that goes in in with these immigration detention centers. Um, There's quotas as well. The private prison industry is also heavily involved uh, in the detention system. Um, But I think even still just, just having the spotlight on the children, it's, these are still it's traumatic and traumatic events that they're just probably gonna stick with them for um in their life if they don't if they're not receiving the proper, you know, services to trying to combat some of these experiences, um, definitely you know it's it's crazy,
0: I've seen Jeff Sessions, the current Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Beauregard, Sessions. yes, I just uh,
1: like saying Beauregard
0: well, well, he's described this practice of separating the children from the other family members as a deterrence as a strategic yes. deterrence right to prevent other people and other families with children from trying to cross the border into the United States and um It's based on a law that was passed during the Clinton administration Mm -hmm. and the way it's written is – it's not vague. It's just current – that administration as well as other administrations had not really pushed it that far Mm -hmm. essentially, like taking it to this level of separating these families forcibly. Um, But it's something that's been on the books for a while. So a lot of us have probably seen the videos of – the situation that these kids find themselves in physically, which is in essentially these large cages where there are multiple children. They're not stacked up, but they're just squished into these cages and what they've got is some like water. It looked like, and maybe a little bit of uh food like chips or something and these uh, thermal blankets mm-hmm. that they're uh, putting on each other. Mm-hmm. And how does that, that, that sounds insane to me. Um, Has – is that experience experience mirrored anywhere within the juvenile system at all or is that a completely new thing?
5: I would say the portrayal of this situation – to a certain was intentional Okay, like you said going back to serving as a, um, a mechanism for deterrence for those who are most of them are migrating from what El Salvador Guatemala and Honduras mm-hmm. so they're seeing this on the media that they're going to you know probably hold off or, or think twice about coming our way um, even in the past with you know, African American males being you know portrayed as um, you know these deviant criminals and so forth back in the you know the 70s or civil rights era moving forward it's to it's kind of the same thing to serve as a deterrence or to you know shift behavior to get a certain outcome um, um, that you want, which still goes back to then the whole element of, of politics that's brought into this.
2: Yeah, that's the thing that bugged me the most. It, it seems very clear. Cool. There's a lot of passing the buck going on, mm-hmm. where it's like sure. we're doing this, but it's actually the folks on the other side's fault. But we're just mm-hmm. enforcing the law, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. But then you could look at it and say, well, it's really just kind of a deterrent. It's like you're 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 punishing people yeah. for doing something that technically is legal because a lot of these folks are seeking, seeking asylum, asylum right? and then all of a sudden their kids are snatched away because of the zero tolerance policy. Mm-hmm. So that to me seems like dirty pool.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. It is legal to seek asylum. Mm-hmm. It's actually under UN conventions. It's legal to seek asylum and entry with any country. Yeah. It's unfortunately up to that country's discretion. God. And they're very loose with the idea of
0: discretion.
2: Yeah, well, apparently we're leaving the UN Human Rights Council anyway. So that's really, true. Um, that happened
0: that. We yesterday. Just did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we just did. We just did. Wow. Yeah, great. Uh- so,
1: so let's let us let us keep this let's keep this thread though with um with the immigration policy. You'll notice Matt pointed out from May to June twentieth Peek behind the scenes here, folks. Julie and Matt, Nolan and I are recording this. On June 20th, and as we were going into, uh, into the studio here, uh, we learned that the current president, President Trump, had actually signed a document, right, that is going to end – Not the detainment practice, but in the separation practice. Isn't that correct?
2: That is what I read. Yes, it's a breaking news story as we sit here and record this now. But um, pressure has apparently gotten to the administration in that respect Mm -hmm. because it's what they call bad optics, right? Mm -hmm. Like even if you're not technically breaking the law or you're enforcing the law,
1: it's not a good look.
2: Mm-hmm. You know. Not at
1: all. I believe what the president signed is uh, an executive order. Correct? That would be, which is which, just means that he doesn't have to run it past Congress. He's a he's a fan of
0: those. I've um, got something <laughs> up on time. We're literally looking at this on our computers right now. <laughs> um, it's just talking about yeah, he signed a, an executive order that would end the separations, but instead putting the parents and children together in. These uh, detention centers, like the
5: Stewart. Have you ever been to Stewart Detention Center? It's the one here in Georgia, right? Yeah, I have some um, friends who've uh, visited, uh, gone and visited there, and did some work. But I personally haven't. Um, yeah, it's it's massive. My sister has done uh, work with some organizations there too, wow.
0: and it's just these huge centers. Mm. Where they're in, in that in that location, there are families together. Some of them sometimes they're separated, and it's just man, it is a tough situation for anyone to find themselves in, and especially for a child. Yeah, and I can't uh. get over this, you guys. Like, Noel and I have kids. Um, Why do you have kids yet? No kids yet. You and you, uh, you and Ben. One day, don't worry, you guys are going to have powerful, amazing kids. <laughs> None that I know of. Yeah, <laughs> over oh, oh. oh, dear. But it, just the thought, Noel, of someone taking your child away and putting him in a, a cold dark just like place like that without without any chance to either go to your you know your parents or your grandparents or some other family member or just being sent back even you know just like just leave and go somewhere mm-hmm. else it makes your blood boil mm-hmm. and i think that's what happened to a lot of people in this country and around right. the world yeah. as we're reading this stuff
2: well and given like how difficult it is to even get a phone call if you go to jail right yeah. Yeah. I, I I I'm I'm only conjecturing here, but I mm-hmm. imagine that there's not ready lines of communication mm-hmm. between mom and
1: dad and and and, and son and right. daughter. You know, yeah. And there's one other important point here that we have to emphasize uh, of the many important points, which is that for people who feel that a detainment policy is just, for people who feel like, well, you know, it's against the law, don't try to cross the border. Um, and even if you plead asylum, it is up to that country's discretion for how long they detain you and whether or not they grant you entry or they kick you back with a go with God. Uh, the, regardless of how you feel about that, the children involved do not have agency. And in institutions and communities across the country – these kids are not making the choices; they are only suffering the consequences. consequences yeah. yeah, and this this brings us to this brings us to a a question about the future, which I know sometimes people hate because no one can predict it. But Julian, having lived in this world and spent so much time working toward a better future for these parents, these children, and ultimately, uh, I would argue, our country as a whole, uh, what? what recommendations could you make? What would you like to see change?
5: Um, Great question. Uh, Definitely, I think some of the most common, and we're getting some traction here, is some of the reversing of some of the policies that were enacted um, over the last few decades with things such as three strikes um, or mandatory minimum. Um, But also, I think we need to... um, put a bigger emphasis on more of a community supervision. So and I think a lot of people think that if we, you know, in mass incarceration and there's less inmates, then it may necessarily be cheaper on taxpayers. Down the road, I think that may be the case, but immediately I think, the resources just need to be shifted and allocated towards, um, you know, social services and community-based organizations to provide, you know, psychosocial support, um, education, vocational training, um, support for housing, which would give these individuals some type of support system um, that they can, you know, build build on. Um, And then on another end, I think that, I recommend that, you know, different policies or or mechanisms be put in place that those who are doing the sentencing or are prosecuting um, do a holistic or a deeper in-depth assessment on the children who are going to be impacted as well. Uh, Look at things such as what are they going to be their need? Do they have caregivers who can, you know, um, swoop in and and take care of them um, during sentencing and so forth, which I don't think is done as adequately or as efficiently as needs to be? Mm-hmm. And then I, I think also on the back end of this, which doesn't get talked about, it was also that of the the caregivers. So um it's uh we talked about like a financial burden uh, many of these caregivers are you know senior citizens 50 60 years old low income so they're more than likely retired and receiving some type of government assistance and now they're having to take care of someone else i would like to see you know more support given to them maybe subsidizing you know some type of um you know monetary payment for the time being um but there's just i mean there's a, a lot of different alternatives that can be you know put in place or implemented to kind of you know shift some of this uh, climate that we have right now.
0: It does become a form of foster care in a way Mm -hmm. when you're like a grandmother taking care of uh, your granddaughter or grandson. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. I I like to see that. So let's say you're, um, you're someone's listening to this and they want to help out. Is there a place online they can go to learn more or a number they can call or what can, what can, they do to help with this struggle?
5: Um, definitely for uh, a resource you can go to is our website, foreverfam.org. Uh, That's forever fam. It's forever, F-O-R-E-V-E-R, fam, F-A-M.org. And, um, you, could, you know, there's information you can reach out to if you know someone who may be need assistance with, you know, navigating through our correctional um, or criminal justice system, children who might be impacted. Um educators, if it's just anything for any other speaking engagements or any recommendations, mm-hmm. please feel free to reach out to us. But there's plenty of resources here. Um, you go to, we got the dome here, go to our, some of our um, state departments and so forth. And, you know.
0: Is it possible to volunteer and just like oh, show yeah. up and help out?
5: Definitely. We have events going on pretty much year-round, it's things as simple as, like, back-to-school programs or events where we're giving out backpacks and, you know, just stuff like that, little dinners we host. Um, we have a 5K walk that's coming up in August um, that's actually going to be right across the street. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, there's always always ways. Now we have to go. <laughs> yeah, heck yeah. Knocking on windows now. <laughs> <laughs> Please. And I just wanted to mention real quick, um, I I, I couldn't
2: help but notice a Facebook uh, fundraising effort um, that popped up on my feed yesterday called Reunite an Immigrant Parent with Their Child. And I couldn't help but notice that it had raised almost $13 million. It's from an organization called RACES, which stands for the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services, which is a nonprofit based out of San Antonio, Texas. Um, So that
0: Is a very interesting ongoing
2: cause that would be worth checking into as well.
0: And just to show you how quickly all this is moving, when Paul showed me that Facebook post this morning, they had raised $9 million. That's insane.
2: I think when I donated to it, they had raised like eight or something. Mm -hmm. And their goal is 15 million. Wow. Which is insane. It just goes to show. And then, you know, with the reversal Mm -hmm. of the administration, Mm -hmm. obviously the optics of these things really does matter. So this notion of, well, nothing I can do about it. That's not that's not always true. That's so, true. Yeah.
0: That's false. So, how do we raise money for all of these kids whose parents are in prison mm-hmm. domestically?
1: Well, the thing is that you can make an argument that one of us alone may not swing the needle too much one way or the other. Uh, but it's like that old proverb: if you want to travel fast, travel alone. If you want to travel far, travel with people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the fact of the matter is sometimes this gets cast off as being cliche or whatever. But together we can make some sort of positive difference that is not politically aligned. You know, I I think it's safe to say in 2018 it's not controversial to help children. I believe you're right. Call it a hot take if we must. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) – (laughs)
2: And obviously this immigration thing is a politically divisive issue, and we're not here to to preach politics to anybody. It's Mm -hmm. more just about human rights, Mm -hmm. general goodness, and the idea that kids deserve a fair shake no matter where they Mm -hmm. come from or what their background is.
1: Absolutely. The press is a powerful tool. And one thing that's important that I think a lot of mass media producers don't want us to know is that you are part of the press. It is a two-way street. The people who speak to you can also hear you. So don't mm. be afraid. Don't be afraid to – I know look, I know it's a hassle. Nobody writes letters anymore, but that's why they matter more now. That's a really good point, Ben. Yeah,
0: it really is a good point. Yeah. I'm going back to the thing that we've discussed a couple of times on this show. Mm. And it is my personal belief that the current administration is in some way like a sleeper agent. Where they're going in and doing the worst possible things, taking things to an nth degree so that we can all see it first, like for the – like truly see it and then all go – no! This is the weirdest
2: As conspiracy society. theory. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really um, odd if optimistic
1: view.
2: <laughs> um, I mean – And I hope that that's the case.
1: We hope so. Julian, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. We want to leave the last word to you. Is – if if you could say anything about the consequences for children – who are innocent bystanders in the justice system? If you could say anything about it to whomever is listening to this now or in the future, what would that be?
5: Um, they have to be children now to be part of the this um, the I guess the, the dominant narrative when it comes to you know our criminal justice system are not right now. I feel like they're left out of so much, um, but are affected tremendously. Um, uh, by some of these decisions. Uh, so just moving forward, just uh, to bring a sense of awareness um, and just kind of raise the consciousness of individuals to know that this is actually, you know, going on and moving forward, just to just be aware of that. Okay. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we're Conspiracy Stuff
0: and uh, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. You can reach us via telephone, one eight three three S stdwytk Oh, yeah. It's, it's fun to say it's even more fun to dial so go ahead and do that um, but you need to use numbers probably uh, okay so you can do all of those things you can find stufftheydontwantyoutoknow.com that's our website you can find every podcast we've ever put out there or hey we're on Apple Podcasts where you could leave us a review
5: mm-hmm.
1: which would be cool super cool You can find every video that we have ever done several of which touch on uh, CCA the private prison industry as absolutely. a whole absolutely
0: I shudder to think. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and if you don't want to do any of that stuff, you can always send us a good old-fashioned email. Our best ideas come from you. Our email is... Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com
6: from the app and Google Play Stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.
0: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on AE Crime Central. Crave Adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Haya.